On today's show, September is here. The Hawks will be playing basketball that matters in not such a long time from now. And on today's podcast, we'll be diving into your mailbag questions, the latest from the World Cup, and more. All of that is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1545 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Labor Day. And I, as always, encourage you to check us out and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. Find us at places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube on the video side, and many more places. And also, today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash MBA or enter the promo code Locked MBA for a free water bottle with any purchase with Bird Dogs. You will not want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. And on today's show, we'll be diving into all kinds of things. It's a mailbag driven episode. I should remind you that also I did a sort of the long-awaited two-part deep dive player capsule podcast on Trey Young with my friend Glenn Willis at the end of last week heading into the holiday weekend. So if you missed that, that's still very much um, in the feed for you. And people keep asking me if I'm going to keep doing this. Oh, yes, I'm not going to go anywhere the entire – there's not really a break in the uh, show schedule between now and the season actually starting. Obviously, the frequency is a little bit lower right now than it would be during the season, but we're still doing three-ish episodes per week, and uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying all of the content. Obviously, not too busy right now. We're still sort of in the dog days at the moment, but we are now officially in September, and that means we're getting closer and closer to media day and training camp and preseason and all that stuff. It's coming very fast, so stay tuned, and we'll be here the entire way to cover the Atlanta Hawks in comprehensive fashion. Quickly, before I dive into the mailbag on today's show, uh, the World Cup is ongoing. Because of the timing when games are actually going to be played, I'm not going to give a huge World Cup update because, uh, again, as we'll get into in a second, Bogey and Team USA both play in just a matter of hours. But two of the three guys from the Hawks are now done when it comes to the World Cup. Patty Mills and Australia were eliminated before the quarterfinals. Patty looked pretty good, I thought, across five games for Australia. Averaged about 18.5 points, five assists. 38% 38% from three. He moved well. Um, always been a very good FIBA player. That was certainly the case this time around. Defensively, certainly he's a weak spot in some ways. But uh, we did a, a show on him recently as well on this same feed with Reed Wallach. So more of that to come on Patty Mills. But uh, he looked pretty good in FIBA, I thought. Um, also, Bruno Fernando and Angola are out of the tournament now. Bruno was their best player probably um, in the World Cup competition. Um, I didn't see every every uh, dribble by any means of Angola and their run, but they play through him a lot more than the most NBA teams would, obviously for reasons that are pretty clear. He's the, he's probably the most talented player. Um, they use his ball skills. It's kind of a reminder that he was a pretty um, highly regarded, like, you know, facilitator for a center when he was coming up as a prospect. Um, obviously it can be much more of a small unit role at the NBA level, but I think the Hawks could use him more there and maybe they probably would if they had to play him more, but still I think he's obviously a very, very capable third center for the Hawks this season. And then finally, Bogey is still playing. He's looked great so far for Serbia, averaging 18 points a game in about 27 minutes. He made every single shot in their last game, as I record this podcast on Monday. But again, Serbia plays on Tuesday morning in the quarterfinals, so that might have changed before you listen to this podcast. Uh, also, Team USA plays on Tuesday morning against Italy in a quarterfinal after losing on Sunday to Lithuania in a game where they allowed 110 points in a 40-minute basketball game. Uh, that's not great, obviously, for Team USA. I know a lot of us are invested in that, including me. Um, 
Lithuania made their first nine threes in that game. They shot the heck out of the ball, but also dominated on the interior, especially on the glass. Jaron Jackson Jr. famously has two rebounds, in the, sorry, one rebound in the last two games, which is hard to do. Um, the U.S. shot 83% from the floor, won the tournament battle pretty decisively, and still lost the game, which is uh, not great. It basically means that you're not getting stops, and you're not going to get be able to get up uh, sort of rebounds and all that stuff too. So anyway, um, we'll have more on that as the tournament goes on. Because of the timing, I'm going to hold off right now. And Tuesday is a big day in FIBA play with all the quarterfinal matchups kicking off uh, early that morning on the East Coast. Okay, from there, mailbag questions here on Labor Day. I appreciate everybody diving into the mailbag. And as a reminder, you can send uh, questions, I should say, to the show via three different methods. You can send them to me on Twitter. Um, at Locked On Hawks, I guess that's called X now in some respects, but at Locked On Hawks or at BT Rule is my personal account. Also, you can send it to LockedOnHawks at gmail.com if you'd like to do the email format, or you can leave a five-star review and a question on Apple Podcasts, and I will try to read some of those as well if you are willing and able to do that. But with that said, no that questions now for, for the rest of the episode, and the first one comes from Eddie. This is going to be a short one. Eddie says, you really have to talk about Trey Young and Los Angeles again. Uh, the answer is no, we don't, uh, at least not right now. I'm answering this question because if, on Friday, you probably missed this if it was a holiday weekend, all that stuff. Uh, Jovan Boha of The Athletic, who does a great job, by the way, covering the Lakers, not really his fault, one of those things. But he wrote about Austin Reeves during FIBA. There's a paragraph in that piece about how the Lakers have pursued star guards in the recent past. And Buha wrote the following, quote, Trey has long been on Los Angeles radar, depending on how the situation unfolds in Atlanta, end quote. So this is a whole like lead of a show that I did back in late May. Um, when it came up for whatever reason at the time. And Trey does spend a lot of time in Los Angeles, like a lot of NBA players do. But Trey is not being traded anytime soon unless he pushes forward, especially. Um, and it's September. I'm just not going to do this whole thing again. I'm not picking on Jovan, who, again, does a very good job. But I'll pass on the topic for now. I wouldn't worry about it too much at this point in time, regardless if you're a Hawks fan. One more plug, though. I did a uh, more comprehensive look at Trey on the basketball court in two parts with Ben Willis last week. And that's something to uh, certainly listen to at this point in time. Okay. Uh, one more question now from Chris P, who says, sorry if I missed it, but did you talk about ESPN's summer projections? They are low on the Hawks, I think. So I think Chris is referring to the summer forecast that ESPN does each, each year with a panel of experts uh, on their site that came out in late August. The ESPN folks had the East broken down into kind of three bigger tiers, and that caused some frustration as well as, as from what I saw in terms of the reaction around the Hawks. It's not incredibly surprising the order that they're in. The Hawks are seventh, which is the same spot they're in in the sort of and the wind tunnels at FanDuel as well. But they labeled the groups in a challenging way. Like the top six is labeled as, quote, contenders. And they included the Knicks there, which I would not, would not have done personally. I think the Knicks are pretty good, but I can't see them being really a contender to win the East probably as constructed right now. Um, anyway, I could be wrong there, I suppose. But I probably would have either made four or five tiers or just changed the names of the tiers. But I think it was probably not a coincidence that they made the top six together, which is, of course, the six playoff teams in the East that are like already locked in pre-play-in. Then the next four, that's the play-in structure. And then the bottom five, that's how the structure works. So they didn't just say that, but that's kind of how they were grouped together. Anyway, the Hawks are number seven on that list. The top of the key, the top of that tier is called a play-in tier. I'm on record already, and I'll probably say this probably ten more times. I am uh, higher on the Hawks than the market suggests right now. FanDuel has them at 41 and a half wins. I'm going to be over that pretty comfortably this year. Um, ESPN has them at 41 and 41. That's too low for me, but it's, it is in line with the betting market, so it's not like crazy outlier low on the Hawks. The write-up did say that the Hawks, quote, have the best chance from this group to break through after two straight appearances in the play-in tournament, end quote. 
that's obviously pretty true and I think pretty clearly true in my mind compared to Brooklyn, Indiana, and Orlando. Atlanta, uh, of course, is going to be eyeing the top six. That's, gonna, that's definitely going to be their goal. I will be shocked if we don't hear pretty much everyone say at media day in a couple of weeks that the Hawks are – that's kind of their baseline goal is to be in the top six. That means they have to beat out you know a team like the Knicks or the Sixers or the Heat – or the Cavs, or something crazy happens to the Bucks or the Celtics, but that they have to be at least one of those teams to get in the top six, and uh, that's certainly an interesting challenge on some level. But I, I definitely like the Hawks more than ESPN does at this point in time. So overall, yes to the question. I think the Hawks are a little bit higher for me than they are for ESPN, but I think a lot of projections this uh, this summer slash fall are going to be too low on the Hawks, and what, from what I've seen so far, that's okay. Uh, it's probably good sort of motivational stuff on the on the inside of the Hawks roster and the management team to kind of be quote-unquote doubted. I think especially people like Trey love to be doubted like that. It's, it sort of gives it that motivation some, in some respects. So I think you're probably going to be okay with that, even if it's frustrating on the outside. But ESPN kind of just more in the middle. They're basically right in line with all of the projections that I've seen when it, when it comes to FanDuel and markets and all that fun stuff at this point in time. Okay. Everyone for much more on today's podcast. We'll be back with more of your mailbag questions in a moment. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is fantastic. They bring fit and comfort and versatility to the table with all of their products. I feel awesome when I wear Bird Dogs. They're comfortable in my own skin as well with all kinds of the gear that they have. And Bird Dogs has the stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg to get the sculpted look that you're looking for. Also, they, they fit much better than regular shorts that happen to be stiff and made of that restricting cotton that you might be familiar with. Bird Dogs also fixes that issue with the cloud knit fabric that they have that, that looks just like khaki, but also happens to stretch. Gives you that slimmer fit without having to sacrifice any of the movement. They have this anti-sweat anti -sweat wicking fabric as well to keep you cool and dry all day long. And they have functional gear for any occasion, whether it's a date or playing golf or going out or working out or just hanging out. In the end, the folks at Bird Dogs make awesome products, and you're going to want to check them all out in one place. That is birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. It's promo code LockedOnNBA when you get there as well for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That is birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs gear off. We promise you. All right, question from Anthony who says, I know this is not a general Hawks question, but I want to know, in your opinion, what you would say would be a team that could overperform expectations in each conference and also what teams could surprise people by potentially underperforming in the coming season. So I'm going to have a lot more on the rest of the Hawks, I'm sorry, the rest of the non-Hawks stuff at some point later on this summer slash fall with Robbie Callen. We are we always do these over-under podcasts that are uh, people enjoy, technically speaking, even though they're not like full-on Hawks deep dives. So I'm not going to go crazy here, but certainly it's a good question. And I'll answer it for sure. On the overperforming side, I think honestly, and I say this without being a homer, I think people who listen to this podcast long enough will know that I'm not just saying things to say things. I would actually have the Hawks as the team to be the overperformer in the East. And there is another one that I absolutely love. So I'll pick another one just now because I'm already on the record with the Hawks stuff. I'll go with Charlotte. I don't love that, but the Hornets are not going to be great or anything like that. They did win 27 games last year with LaMelo, with LaMelo Ball missing like more than half the season and having zero games from Miles Bridges. Obviously, the off-court stuff is troubling with Miles Bridges, but he's a very good player when he plays. And I think the league is a little bit too low on the middle ball now, as a as a general rule as well. Plus, they could be improving internally with like Mark Williams and PJ Washington's back now in a reasonable contract for Charlotte. I, th I think that Brandon Miller, like most rookies, uh, my stance, if people don't know, don't know this very well at this point in time, is that most rookies are not very good. Even the, even the top picks are not very good. So I think a lot of Brandon Miller might not help them this year. But I think that, generally speaking, their over-under at FanDuel is about 30 and a half wins. I would probably go a little bit over there if they are trying. And look, Charlotte's not really going to be a team that like tries to tank. I think they're going to try to win uh, pretty quickly here. I'm not saying they're going to succeed at winning at a high level, but 
I think it would not surprise me too much if they were better than a couple of teams like in that next tier up, like your Chicago's, your Toronto's, Brooklyn, Indiana even. Um, I wouldn't pick that necessarily, but I kind of like Charlotte at that number. Again, I think I would pick up the Hawks to answer this question as the overperforming team in the Eastern Conference. But other than the Hawks, I probably would go with Charlotte. But I don't love anybody, honestly, in the East outside of Atlanta at their current mar- at their current projections, I should say. In the West, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to fall for it with New Orleans again right now. FanDuel has them at 44 and a half wins. They were on pace for 54 wins last year until the wheels came off due to all of their injuries. Obviously, that could happen again. Uh, Zion's injury stuff is well-documented, and they have to have Zion playing well to be as good as I think they probably can be. But they were 17-12 and 12 last year when he played, even by himself, and they were incredibly good when they had Ingram and Zion playing together. Obviously, a very small sample size. They were very good there. I like their depth as well. They have 11 or 12 guys that are real. They need Zion to stay on the court. They need Ingram to be on the court, et cetera. But I kind of like New Orleans more than their projection at this point in time. On the teams that I'm a little bit lower on, that I'm fading, I think I probably will go back to the well again with Miami. I always seem to be there. Last year, I was very right about them in the regular season and then very wrong in the playoffs. Um, I think if they get Dame, it's going to sound funny. Um, I'll be lower on them if they get Dame. Not that they'll be worse. They'll be much better if they get Dame. But as far as like people are going to overreact, I think, if they get Dame and like pick the championship. Uh, I think they'll be a lot better with Dame. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think I'm going to go a little bit lower on them if they were to get Dame. Um, we don't know about that yet, so I will say Toronto in the meantime. The Raptors were a 500 team last year with a good coach that was proven and all of their top guys playing a ton of minutes a year ago, and they still weren't very good. Now you take Fred Van Vliet away, and you downgrade that to Dennis Schroeder, who's a pretty good player, not, not as good as Fred Van Vliet. Plus, they could reasonably trade Siakam. They could trade Ananobi at some point if they want to acknowledge what, what they actually are. I'm not a huge Scotty Barnes guy. They don't have any shooting. Uh, I like the Gray Dick selection a lot in the draft, but he's still a rookie. He's not going to fix everything right away there, so... I think also probably a coaching downgrade if you had to guess from Nick Nurse to an unproven guy in Darko. So um, I think Toronto won't be like awful if they keep everybody, but I would fade them for sure. And in the West, I don't have a team that I'm like out on compared to that, compared to projections at this point in time. I think the Kings are a pretty natural regression candidate, but a lot of people are seeing that one kind of happening. It's a very popular, like, you know, by the numbers advanced metric breakdown team. And I agree with that. Um, I might be a little bit low on the Suns in the 82-game season because they don't have the depth or the injury, you know, non-concerns. But the, the talent there is legit, so there you go. I don't really have one yet. I think if you maybe maybe choose one team to be a little bit lower on, it's the Kings, but that's already kind of built in to their projections at, at this point in time, at least at FanDuel, with their um, pretty, pretty modest numbers after last year's run. So I'll leave it there for now. Uh, next one on the agenda comes from Rory, who says, Any insight into the Diamond slash Valley Sports chaos? And how will that affect the Hawks viewing this year? And he says, as a Padres fan, this is this has been personal for me, and I don't blame you for that. If you somehow do not know this already, the Hawks regional TV deal is with Diamond Sports Group, which of course um, it manifests as Bally Sports. There is tremendous uncertainty about the near term and the extended term about the future of a bunch of sports team TV rights because of the bankruptcy of Diamond Sports. So Rory talks about the Pirates, sorry, the Padres. The Padres are a team in baseball that were already affected by this because Diamond basically stopped paying San Diego and MLB had to step in and take over the, take over the broadcast entirely in the middle of the season. Now that's an extreme example, but Diamond's still in bankruptcy court right now. It's an evolving process. It's going to impact like half the league. They have 15 teams in the NBA, including the Hawks. I read last week from Mike Vorkanov at the athletic who was talking about the, uh, the Hornets a little bit and the new owners there in Charlotte who were kind of giving comments about the broadcast stuff. But basically what it projects to be 
is that Bally's still going to be airing the games until further notice. The NBA has been told reportedly by Mike that Diamond, quote, has enough capital to honor its contracts and to get through the upcoming season, end quote. If that's the case, the Hawks will just be on Bally as they've been so far the last you know several years. Um, they're still under contracts so and nothing really would change there, but there's nothing certain about any of this stuff. It's all very unstable. In the same piece, Mike wrote that the NBA is preparing to take over the broadcast productions and distributions if Diamond does not fulfill all the contracts. So I'd be fascinated to see what it actually look like. The Padres kind of looks the same, but MLB is running the show there. But we'll see how that all happens. Judging by what's happening so far, um, it'd probably be a combination of like direct consumer streaming stuff plus some linear TV stuff as well. Maybe like old school Hawks fans might remember like Peachtree TV, that kind of aspect when they were in between uh, TBS and when they went to the cable only package that they're at, they're at now. But anyway, to the question, it's all very fluid and weird. I wish it was easier. I know like a lot of the local stuff, um, having because I live in the market, people hate the fact that they don't have um, value on certain streaming services like YouTube TV for once. Um, you know, I had this exorbitant cable bill because of the fact that I have to have Valley um, for Hawks and Braves and other stuff. So it's challenging. It, it's brutal for the consumer, honestly. But I would at least plan on Valley being the place to watch the Hawks this year locally if you are the person that lives here, uh, at least in October. If I had to guess, though, it's all going to change in the next couple of years at a minimum. Could be even faster than that, but we will see at this point. Uh, but it's definitely uh, not. Not a lot of fun in the uh, sports um, sort of marketing and you know media realm on the TV side because of all the local. Key, this is across this is across the board: MLB, NHL, NBA, the NFL separately because they're all they're all kind of national games. But it's all going to change, and it already is changing, and has changed in the last year or two. Okay, one more break for my sponsor on today's podcast, and we'll have one more question that we'll dive into with some uh, with some depth at the end of the show. All right, last question on today's podcast comes from AJ, who says, I'm curious where you think the Hawks are in this quote-unquote cycle. Are the Hawks waiting for the young pieces to develop before they're making a significant move or something else? Um, it's a good question. That they do not have any huge moves this offseason. Obviously, this is not anything new to the diehards who've been listening to every show all summer long, but you might have expected a bigger splash after the back-to-back play-in trips with high expectations on this team. Because, as I've said before, there is top-down pressure um, Tony Ressler does not like to sit still. He does not like to be in the play-in, for instance. Um, but there also are the restrictions with the financial side that make things very challenging for this roster. Um, the big splash move is Quinn Snyder, but we'll come back to that in a second. Anyway, as far as the cycle is concerned and the question there, it can be overstated a little bit because it is rarely as linear as that word implies. But the Hawks are certainly trying to win now. You could say it's win-now mode, etc. They're not quite like as all-in as teams like Phoenix or Milwaukee, who are either old or expensive or both. The Hawks are still young. Now, they are not, they're kind of, they're capped out in some ways because of their financial restrictions, but they are more flexible than you may think in some respects. So they're not all in, but they are certainly in win now mode with the moves they've been making and all the money that they've spent on contracts. Um, the thing is, though, they're very, very much banking on Quinn Snyder to make a huge difference in the team's performance. So as far as the cycle is concerned, that throws a wrench of things because obviously the coach is like a different aspect than the players and the salary cap, all that stuff. But Quinn Snyder was a big, big splash. They paid him top dollar, or at least it was top dollar when they paid him before Monty Williams and pop got a lot of money. But that was a great move that I loved and praised at the time. I was like, you know, if you can get Quinn Snyder, get Quinn Snyder. I was definitely saying that at the time they went, they went out and did it and moved quickly and paid a lot for him. But that's, that's money that is not counting against the cap. So you should love that. If you're a fan of spending high dollar on that, but um, as far as that all is concerned, that is the big domino right now. They're also, to the question, though, banking on internal improvement from young players, for sure, to get where they have to get to. So 
it's always interesting to kind of hear how things are discussed or read how things are discussed locally versus nationally. So locally, I think you would think that Jalen Johnson or AJ Griffin are like definitely going to be stars. While nationally, that doesn't really get discussed like that really at all. Obviously, the truth is somewhere in the middle, I believe, in there. I'm definitely higher on AJ and Jalen than the national folks probably are, but also maybe not quite as like certain in the fact that they're going to be breakouts as Hawks fans are right now. And that's kind of the place to be if you cover the team. But there is still uncertainty about how good any of the young guys are going to be. Even Kongwu, who I've argued like very highly on, he hasn't been a starter yet. Like there's a little bit of uncertainty there. There's less uncertainty than there is with Jalen or AJ, but there's a little bit until you actually see a guy do something, there's uncertainty there. So as far as the question about where the Hawks are waiting for the young guys to develop before making another big move, the answer is kind of, basically. I think it's going to depend on how they play this season as a general rule because, again, this is a group that's been in the play-in two years in a row while running a pretty full salary cap. And even when the Hawks made the conference finals, they actually didn't play at that level until the very end of the season. They played at a level of like a 46-win team and 82 games, which isn't bad. That have been their best season in a long time, but it wasn't like they were dominating. Over, over, over the course of 82 games. So basically, what I would say is they've literally never even come close to being a 51 team under this regime, under the Trey Young era, however you want to say that. So I think it's an ownership and leadership structure that wants to win, and they can be a little bit impulsive from the top down. But Snyder and Fields seem to be a little bit more level-headed as a duo. That's probably a good thing, I think, as far as like counteracting Tony Wrestler. At the same time, they were ready to push in even more chips for Pascal Siakam. But that was very up there as far, as far as like there was some heat to those negotiations. And it, it could still happen now. I'm not saying it will, but it, it could happen. It's not it's not 0% chance. So they're not just sitting back and being patient. I'll say that. Like they've been patient so far in terms of like they didn't pull trigger on that deal. But they're not like just chilling if that makes a lot of sense. So they could make a big move in the next four or five months. Between now and the deadline, that could certainly happen. I would not be surprised at all. Or if they play better... They could just kind of stand pat a little bit, and that wouldn't shock me either. But they do have some decisions to make financially, which we'll kind of hold off on talking about until a later podcast, I'm sure. But, you know, with extensions up, up for Okongwu and Bay, you got a lot of money committed to Hunter and obviously Murray and Trey now. You got Capella for one more year after this. They got a lot of money committed and some, and some choices to make there for the third straight summer, next summer. But as far as the cycle is concerned and the ceiling for this group, I think it's going to be important for the ceiling in particular to see what guys like Akongwu and Johnson and Griffin, even Kobe Bufkin, actually are. Because realistically, I want to, I'm not trying to be negative, but realistically, they're going to need one or two of those guys to really pop to be a title contender with this group. Now, obviously, they could change other things and you know Siakam or whatever it's going to be. But let's just say in a hypothetical world for the next three seasons, they don't do anything else, any, no big moves. What's the pathway for them to be an actual title contender? It's obviously Trey playing at a super high level, but also it's internally because, look, as good as I think Capella is, as good as Bogey can be, as good as DeAndre Hunter maybe could be at some point in time, they're not going to break out. So for them to win a championship in the next three years without making a huge splash move like a big trade, it has to be some breakout from Akangu or Johnson or Griffin or, or two of those three or whatever, or, Griff or Bufkin, whatever it's going to be. So it's either that path or you trade for a top-tier player. I don't say this negatively at all, but I don't think a team with Trey and DeJounte as the clear top two players on a team is going to win the championship. Could they be really, really good? Yes. In fact, this year they could be really good. 
I'm not saying otherwise. I think they could probably be a top three seed in the East with this team as those two guys are the top two players, clearly the top two, top two players. But for them to be a title, an actual title contending threat, I think it's more likely than not by a lot that they would have to have somebody crash that party, whether internal or external, whether it's just a crazy breakout for Jalen Johnson or AJ Griffin or a trade. So again, I'm not saying that to be negative. I think there's a, a good team in here right now. It's just that as far as ceiling and the cycle is concerned, I think they're, they're going to either need to have a home run or two in the current core or a, the uh, I guess the long-awaited consolidation trade because it's actually crazy to me. I said it before, but I'll say it again now that this team has not made the consolidation trade yet. Still, like I thought two years ago, three years ago, they were obviously going to have to make a pretty big, you know, three-for-one kind of trade at some point, and they still haven't done it. And it's because they let guys go, unfortunately, to make the team worse in service of saving money, which is not the way you want to operate. Personally, I've, I've been critical of those moves to basically let Kevin Herter go for very little in return. John Collins, same thing. Obviously had a, had a down season in the middle, but because they, those two guys, they just kind of sold low on and, you know, chipped out for money savings. And then Cam Reddish was the other guy who they were obviously internally invested in. And he kind of just flamed out. So those three guys, those are the guys who they have, you know, the consultant street never happened because they, they've just kind of cut one at a time off their books. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see, as far as the cycle is concerned, like what happens this year. And I've been alluding to it the last couple of weeks. I'll probably keep doing that next three or four weeks until the season starts. But this is a very big year for the Hawks. So as far as their cycle is concerned, it's not always as linear as that as that, as that word sort of suggests. But as, like, they need to make a jump at some point. I'm not saying they're going to win 50 games this year, but they got to be showing progress. Because if they don't show progress this year after two straight trips to the play-in, there's going to be a bigger, a bigger overhaul coming, I would imagine. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. But you start to hear from people not being happy and a bigger a bigger overhaul of the roster because you know given where they are and their spending and all that stuff and their commitments to Trey and Dejounte etc. If it's another 42 win season with no injury issues, like that's not going to go over well locally, nor should it because that's that's a team that's kind of like you know hitting the ceiling that you don't love at this point in time. But anyway, um, they have financial, they have financial stuff to make in the next year or so. We'll touch on that later on, but it's a big year and I think a lot of that is because they have some decisions to make on the roster because you know like I said. I think there's kind of a ceiling on a team with Trey and Ajante as your clear top two. And that means you need something to happen differently if you want to aim as high as the title in the next three, four, five years with this roster. Okay, that's it for today's podcast. Hopefully that was a coherent answer. I'm sure it wasn't for some people, but I will circle back on if you have more questions. I said it before, I'll say it again at the end of the podcast. Now, three ways to get your question answered on this show. Either Twitter slash X at Lothan Hawks or at BT Roland. Also, you can send questions to LothonHawks at gmail.com, or you can leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and ask your question via the comments on your review slash rating. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. Anywhere you get your podcast, please follow the show. And again, it's been a full off-season, so the vast majority of content in the last three months, basically, uh, is very, very relevant still now. So if you are a new listener, there should be a nice backlog for you of player capsules and draft stuff and big picture stuff and all that stuff, mailbag questions, et cetera. Uh, please, I definitely encourage you to listen to all those shows, download them as well. Tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll have more later on this week and we'll see you next time.